Thank you, Christy. Well, when the uh, Lord created the world, he also created the family. It was God who brought Adam and Eve together, thus God officiated at the first wedding. The priority that God puts on the family is obvious. He created the family before he did government or before he did church. Because the family is important to God and beneficial to man, it has always come under attack by Satan. For instance, in the Old Testament, it was very easy to dissolve the marriage relationship. If a woman put too much salt on the food, if she were quarrelsome, if she spoke to another man, or if he found someone he was more attracted to, then that was all legitimate reason to end the marriage relationship. Things had not gotten a lot better by the New Testament, Seneca wrote, women were married to be divorced and divorced to be married. Women dated the years by the names of their husbands. Now, I can imagine the way that that worked was some women would be talking together and say, do you remember, you remember the big tornado that we had or the big storm that we had? Oh, yeah, that's when I was married to John. But that's the way they dated things according to the person that they were married to at the time. Well, the family is still under attack today. Thomas Widener wrote in America Magazine, in one of every five American families, the household is headed by a single parent. Twenty million children live with alcoholic parents. One million kids run away from home each year. Now, we know all the stories. We, we know the statistics and, and the threats against the family today. So I, I do not need to reiterate that because you already know those things. We know the problem. What is the solution? And I believe that it is the recognition that the family is a spiritual unit. Therefore, the foundation for the family must be spiritual. If we are going to have strong families today, then they must be spirit-filled families. Now, if you would agree with that, then we have to ask the question, why then are our families not spirit-filled? And the response to that is because we grieve the Holy Spirit. The scripture says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And the word grieve there means to distress, to afflict with sorrow, to make sad. All right? Then how do we grieve the Holy Spirit in our families? If we would say, if we are going to have strong families... Then they must be spirit-filled families, but we grieve the Holy Spirit. How? How is it in our families that we grieve the Holy Spirit's ministry within the family unit? Well, let me mention a couple of ways. First of all, through hurtful words. The scripture says in Ephesians 4.29, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification. Folks, be careful with the words you speak 
to family members because the hurt lasts after the word has been said. Be careful with the words that you use. The Bible says that our words are to be edifying, not destructive. We are not to use our words in our family relationship to tear the family member down, but instead to build the family member up. Something else I think that causes grief to the Holy Spirit is sinful anger. In Ephesians 4.26, the scripture says, Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Phyllis Diller used to say, Don't go to bed angry, stay up and fight. Well, I'm afraid that's what we oftentimes do. We stay up and fight. So what happens in our families is that we grieve the Holy Spirit's ministry within our families through unwholesome words and sinful anger. As a result of that, we then quench the Holy Spirit. We put out the fire of the Holy Spirit to do His work in our family. So today I want to speak to you about a Spirit-filled family. Take your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Beginning in verse number 18, and I am connecting these verses because I believe that they go together. Beginning in verse number 18. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this cause a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I'm, a, I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each individual among you also love his own wife, even as himself, and let the wife see to it that she respect her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with the promise that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. And fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, what I want you to do today is ask yourself the question, is my family a spirit-filled family? Now, how do you know? Well, let's look at the characteristics that Paul gives to us here. First of all, there is family worship. You see, if we say as believers, the foundation for the family is spiritual, then I would ask you, is your family building on a spiritual foundation? In verse number 18, he says, 
Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, when a person becomes a believer, they receive the Holy Spirit. If you are a believer, then the Holy Spirit resides within you. And the Scripture says in Romans chapter 8, verse number 9, if you do not have the Spirit, then you're not His. So if one is a believer, that person then has the Holy Spirit. But here he says that you are to be filled with the Spirit. That means then that you are under the control of the Spirit. To be filled with the Spirit means that the Holy Spirit is in control of your life. Now, he he illustrates that, and we will look at that in just a minute. But Charles Spurgeon said, when home is ruled according to God's word... Angels might be asked to stay with us, and they would not find themselves out of their element. So, we are to be filled with the Spirit. Now, let me tell you the importance of that. That is in the imperative mood, which means it is a command. This is not a suggestion. He is saying, if you are a believer, you are to be filled with the Spirit. It is imperative. It is a command. It is second person plural, which means it is for everyone. Every believer is to be spirit filled. It is passive voice, which means it is what God does. And it is present tense, which means it is continuous action. This is not a one time thing. See, you are to be being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, that is the command that is given here. What is the evidence that yours then is a spirit-filled family? Joy. Look at verse number 18 again. Do not get drunk with wine, that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. Now what Paul is doing here is uh, illustrating his point with drunkenness. It seems strange to us as Baptists, doesn't it? That he's making his point with drunkenness. And yet you remember on the day of Pentecost, those people under the control of the Holy Spirit were thought to be what? Drunk. So there are some parallels that you can draw. The first is that a drunk person is under the control of alcohol. The Spirit-filled person is under the control of the Holy Spirit. The drunk person has a type of joy because inhibitions are removed. They normally make a fool of themselves, but they nevertheless have this sense of joy. And the same thing is true with the spirit-filled Christian. There is joy, but they never embarrass themselves, nor do they embarrass the Lord. One of the characteristics or the signs that your family is a spirit-filled family is that there's joy in the family. Do you have joy in your family? That's one of the characteristics. If the Spirit of God is in control of your life, then there is joy. Another characteristic is gratitude or thankfulness. You'll notice in verse number 20, he said, Always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. He says, always. Always giving thanks in all things. You know why you can do that as a believer? Because you know that no matter what circumstance you're in, no matter what's happening in your life, that God is at work in your life conforming you to the image of Jesus. 
Now then, if the Lord is at work in your life conforming you to the image of Jesus, then regardless as to your circumstances, you can give thanks. Because God is at work in your life conforming you. So, one of the characteristics of a spirit-filled family is that they are joyful and that they are thankful. So there's the family's worship. Then he comes to family submission in verse number 21. And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Now then, I know whenever we get to submission and subjection and all those things, that is a controversial area. And the reason it is controversial is because we understand it to mean that if I submit myself to someone, then I am inferior to the one to whom I have submitted. And yet the Bible tells us that Jesus submitted himself to the Father, but was not inferior to the Father. The scripture says in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 and 7, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Now, I want you to understand that the Trinity is equal in character. That is the reason that Jesus said in John 10, 30, I and the Father are one. I and the Father are one. So in essence, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they are equal in essence, but they are different in roles. That's the reason that Jesus said in John 14, 28, the Father is greater than I. So the Son then subjected himself to the authority of the Father, though he was equal to the Father because they are one. Now, what is the reason for submission or for subjection? Well, there's no order without it. We understand that in sports, do we not? If the players do not subject themselves to the play that has been called, there is not going to be a touchdown. So they have to submit themselves in order for there to be order. We understand that in business. In business, there is the the business plan to which the employee must submit. And if they do not submit, then there is no success. Alan Cox, a Chicago business consultant, said the buck has to stop somewhere. Somebody has to make the hard decision. There is no order without it. If there is not submission, there is no order in sports. If there is not submission, there is no order in business. And ladies and gentlemen, it is no less true in the family. If there is no submission within the family, then there is chaos and confusion. Now, the Bible gives us the order of submission. We're talking about submission here. We are also given the order. First of all, the husband is to submit to Christ. The scripture says in 1 Corinthians eleven three, but I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man. So when we are talking about submission, it begins with the husband. As the husband submits himself to Christ. Jesus is our example, men. He is our example. He submitted himself to the Father and he is our authority. Jesus prayed, not my will, but thine be done. Though he was equal to the Father, 
he submitted himself to the Father. So, men, it begins, and I know whenever you get, to, I know whenever we get to Ephesians 5 and we talk about submission and all that, y'all are sitting there hitting your wives and you're going to have to listen to this. It's going to be good because we always think about the wife's submission. It begins with you. Okay? Husbands, it begins with you as you submit yourself to Christ. Secondly, a wife's submission to her husband. In chapter 5, verse number 22, Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be their husbands in everything. Now, my wife is submissive. Linda's submissive. I told her, just do whatever you want to, and that's what she does. So she, she is submissive. What I want you to understand about the wife's submission is that it is willful. It says, wives, submit yourselves. It does not say, husbands, make sure they submit. So this is a willful decision from the wife. She willfully submits herself to her husband. And she does so, I believe, because of respect. Now look at chapter 5, verse number 33b. Let the wife see to it that she respect her husband. Now here's what I think happens. When there is a godly man in the family who has submitted himself to Jesus Christ, the wife then is very willing to submit herself to the godly husband who is submitted to Jesus Christ. She does so to someone she respects. So there then is the husband's submission to Christ, the wife's submission to the husband, and the child's submission to the parents. Chapter 6, verse number 1, children... Obey your parents in the Lord. Why is that important? So that order might be preserved. Now, I know that you have seen those children who are not submissive to their parents. And uh, the parent is running around. The child is throwing a tantrum. And the parents are throwing up their hands saying, oh, what am I going to do? There is no order there. There is simply confusion and turmoil. Another reason it is important for children to submit to their parents is because their welfare is protected. Now, when a child submits to the authority of their parent, there is a layer of protection that is provided. When my children were young, I used to say to them, look, there are going to be times when your friends are going to ask you to become involved in something you know is wrong. You know it's harmful. You know that you ought not do it. You don't even want to do it. But there is this peer pressure on you. Then blame me for it. I mean, you are submissive to me. I am your father. You're submissive to me. Blame me for it. You, you just tell them, said, I can't go or I can't do that. My dad would kill me. And after that, he's coming after you. The point is, children, the reason it is important for you to be submissive to your parents is that it, it provides a layer of protection for you. And so you're able to blame your parents for it. And you exemplify the kingdom when you do. Now, he gives an explanation about this. He says it's right in chapter 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. It may not be popular. It might not be what you want. But the Bible says that it is right. I want you young people to understand that it is right. Not only that, it is commanded in chapter 6, verse number 2. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment 
with a promise. So it is right, it is commanded, and it is blessed. Chapter 6, verse number 3. That it may be well with you, and that you may live long on the earth. That it may be well with you. Albert Barnes said the meaning here is that they would be more happy if they would obey their parents than if they disobeyed. Well, that was certainly true in my case. I was always happier when I obeyed my parents than when I disobeyed them. And I'm sure that that is true with some of you. I know I've heard some of you mothers say, I brought you into this world and I can take you out. So it is always happier whenever you are obedient. So he says that it is right, it is commanded, and it is blessed. So he's talking here about the child's submission to the parents. It's important. But then he doesn't let the parent off the hook. He talks about the parent's responsibility. And there are some negatives to avoid parents in chapter 6, verse number 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Children, obey your parents. Fathers, don't provoke your children. How do we provoke our children? What do we do to provoke our children? Well, I think there are a couple of things. First of all is that we forget that things change. And there are two areas especially that seem to be problematic in most families. First is music. Now, you know, music changes. Now, some of you who are older than I, I mean, you... You grew up with, yes, we have no bananas. I grew up with, you ain't nothing but a hound dog. A one-horned, one-eyed, flying purple people leader. I don't know what that was. But boy, we liked it. In fact, I bought a Buddy Holly CD the other day. and Last Sunday, Hughes was in the car with me, and I was listening to Buddy Holly. And I, I was telling him, I said, this is Buddy Holly, Hughes. And I said, uh, I mean, he was really... He was really a great musician, and, and uh, he, he influenced the Beatles and the Rolling Stones and all that. He said, well, it's a little slow for me. <laughs> he has no appreciation for Buddy Holly. Music changes. Now, I'm not talking about those filthy lyrics that's in some of it today. That doesn't qualify. But I'm just saying we, have, we forget sometimes that music changes. Paul Ryan said that he teased Mitt Romney that he had elevator music on his iPod. I doubt that he's got an iPod, but, you know, those things change. (laughs) Music changes, and sometimes we get all bent out of shape about that, and when we do, we end up provoking our children. Something else, number two, hairstyles. Linda and I went with some of our students to Israel this past summer. There was one of the students, one of the girls who went. I'll not mention her name. I would not want to embarrass her or her family. We'll just call her Ethel. (laughs) But while we were there, she said to me, why do you have so much gel in your hair? I said, I thought that was supposed to be cool. She said, yeah, five years ago. I said, well, it came that way when I bought it. 
I know there'll be people watching on television. I didn't know he wore a wig. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's not even a very good one. But, but those things change. And when we forget that things change, we end up provoking our children. Another way we provoke them is when we are too strict on them. Now, that doesn't happen very often, but it, it, it happens. Let me tell you what happens because we reverse things. There's so many things that we reverse their order and we have problems as a result of it. Folks, when our children are, are very young, that's when you need to be strict on them. But we're not because they're cute. I mean, we let them crawl up on the furniture and we let them, they, they, they tear all kinds of stuff up, but they're cute. Now then, whenever they get to be 10, 11, 12 years old, they're not cute anymore. And they, it's, it's at that time that they are transitioning into adulthood and it's at that time that we begin to become strict on the wrong time. Whenever they get to be that age, that is the time when you begin to loosen up, allow them to make decisions and suffer the consequences for their decisions so that they learn to make good decisions. But we've reversed it. And we are too strict on them when we should be loosening up and we are too loose on them when we should be strict. Another way that we provoke them is when we fail to encourage them. There are a lot of young people who think that they cannot please their parents no matter what they do. They can't please their parent. We provoke them when we ignore them as individuals, and they're different. I have five grandchildren. They are all different. And sometimes we want to make them all the same. They are not. They're not. God has made them different. And we need to allow them to grow and mature into the area, into the way that God has made them. But when we forget that they are different or we ignore their difference, we provoke them. There's some positives to pursue in chapter 6, verse number 4. He says, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. It is our responsibility as parents to discipline them. There, there's a... In, in the uh, ruins of ancient Nineveh, there was a plaque found with this inscription on it. If you fail to teach your child to obey, if you fail to teach him to respect the property rights of others, you and not he are responsible for the result of your neglect. We are to discipline our children and we are to instruct them. And parents, we are so careful to teach our children how to throw a ball, to catch a ball, to shake someone's hand, to look them in the eye. As Christian parents, we have a responsibility to instruct them concerning the things of God. You are to instruct your children concerning... Don't just think you're going to bring them down here and Eric is going to do it or or, uh, Chris is going to do it. We cannot overcome what you don't do. So you have the obligation, you have the responsibility to discipline your child and instruct your child. Then he talks about the family's love, which is sacrificial in verse number 25 of of chapter 5. He said, husbands, love your wife just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. We know how much Jesus loved the church. He gave his life for the church. I really believe that's the way husbands and wives are to love each other. And and that's what we promise till death do us part. We are to love each other to death. 
And that's the way that parents and children are to love each other. It is a sacrificial love, that is a sanctifying love, and that is a satisfying love. Let me close. What is a Christian family? It's people who engage in spirit-filled worship. It is people who understand the importance of godly submission. And it's people who love each other because the love of Jesus fills their lives. We have a lot of problems in the family today. And I think the answer to it is that we have spirit-filled families. Are you committed to a spirit-filled family? Because that is the foundation on which we are to build. Our gracious Father and God, we thank you for the instruction from your word concerning our families. We do love our families. Father, sometimes we become neglectful. We become lazy in discipline and instruction and example and submission and all those areas. Father, I pray today that you might raise up godly families godly husbands, wives, parents, children, young people. Lord, that we might exemplify heaven on this earth. Father, I pray for those today who need to examine their relationships and those who need to make commitments. Father, that they would do so today. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Just a moment, we're going to stand. The choir's going to sing a hymn of invitation. An opportunity for you to respond. If you're here without Jesus Christ, I encourage you to commit your life to Him. If you're looking for a church home, our doors are open to you. We'd love to have you as a part of this family. Stand with me, please. As we stand, they sing, you come, I'll greet you. you are aware that next uh, Sunday we celebrate our 20th anniversary in this building. It was 20 years ago that we moved in, so we're going to have a celebration, and the uh, hoppers are going to be here. They will be singing that morning and then a concert um, 
Sunday evening. It's going to be a great time, and you are going to want to be here. Now, after the service Sunday, we will have a lunch, but uh, let me tell you this. It's going to, Richard told me that it's going to be very good, very nice, and so you're going to want to put it. But we're only going to have, we're only set up for 300 people. So the, you have to have a reservation. So the first 300 who make reservations will have lunch back in Ellis Hall on Sunday. He said in order to help a little, there's going to be tickets for the luncheon back in Ellis Hall after uh, the service is ended. So you can go back there to get the jump on everybody else uh, as soon as the service is over. Now let me, um, let me mention some people. Michael Parks. Where's Michael? Uh, there was an article in the paper. He was uh, one of the defensive backs listed for honors this week. He plays football for Ben Lippin, had nine tackles, two interceptions, two pass breakups. We needed you last night. <laughs> Ethel, while I'm finishing this, you come on up here, please. Tommy Lydon, where's Tommy? Where is he? He's still asleep? All right, well, at any rate, there was an article in the paper about Tommy. Uh, he was named as one of Midland's legal elite by Greater Columbia Business Monthly, and so we uh, congratulate him. And Sylvia Waldron, where is Sylvia? Is Sylvia here? She was in the paper also. So you, you tell all those that I, I got the articles and I mentioned. Come up here. Got my own microphone. <laughs> don't listen to him. Where did you get the name Ethel? I don't know who that is. Um, I was kind of wondering why you looked at me whenever you said that. How does my hair look now? It's pretty good. Okay. All right. I just thought I... I thought I would check. Um, this is Ellen, and she is going to lead us in our closing prayer. So let's stand, and she will lead us in prayer, and we will be dismissed. Dear Lord, um, I just thank you for allowing us to come here together and just to worship you, Lord, with all that we have. Um, I just ask that throughout this week that you would just um, really help our families to grow together in you, Lord, and that they would be spirit-filled, Lord, and that... Um, we wouldn't be able to allow Satan into our families, Lord, this week. I just ask that you would just um, bless us, Lord, and just help us to proclaim your name wherever we go, Lord. In your son's name we pray. Amen.